is Brandon Zilstra, receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, and you're listening to Training for Life. And so eventually I go back and I end up watching my squad car video and I can find where he ditched the gun. What it turned out to be was a Taurus uh, concealed carry type gun. It had uh, 40 caliber rounds in it, one in the chamber and the mag was fully loaded. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Training for Life podcast, where we deconstruct the minds of great teachers and great learners. All right, welcome to another what I'm going to be calling Training Tuesday. And today I started out my day with the AM protein blend from FNX Fitness in the flavor orange creamsicle. It's really good. It's really good with just water. And I think that if you mix it with almond milk, it's actually too sweet, but it's still really good. Either way, it's got nootropics added to it. So it helps you get the day started and get your mind going right away. It's perfect for Mondays, but it's also great for Tuesdays. So you can use the code TFL15 that's TFL15 if you want to try it and get 15% off. Okay, so today I want to welcome Fargo Police Officer Dirk Tiedemann. I can honestly say Dirk is one of the nicest people I have ever met, and it's not a surprise to me that he chose a career in which he serves and protects people he doesn't even know. Dirk became a Fargo Police Officer a few years ago, and very shortly after that, Officer Mosier was killed in the line of duty and it rocked the entire city of Fargo, even the state, possibly further than that. We talk about that in our conversation as well as lighter things like stuff I've always wanted to know about police officers, like what's a beat and how did you pick such a scary career and how the heck do you stay in shape for this kind of stuff and also is police station coffee awful? It was an honor to sit down and chat with Dirk, and I'm really proud to be friends with him. He is definitely one of Fargo's finest, and do me a favor and visit him on social media and thank him for his service. He works really hard on and off duty to protect all of us. Enjoy! Okay, so let's just get started by having you say who you are and what you do. Uh, Dirk Tiedemann, and I currently work for the Fargo Police Department. Okay, and what do you do for them? Uh, I'm in the patrol division, I'm on our crowd management team, and I'm on our defensive tactics team. Okay, so how many different teams does the police department have? <laughs> I, I'm not even sure, because I, mean, I mean, there's the interagency SWAT team, the crowd management team, we're the ones that, like, if there's a civil disturbance, protest, things like that, that's mm-hmm. what... And that's why you were out <clears throat> at... Yep, that's why I was just in Oregon at, last week. But that's why previously you were out at the Dakota Access Pipeline protests and stuff. Yep. Okay. Cool. So, I really like the story that you told earlier, and I want you to tell that one if you can, and then also explain what a beat is when you say, <laughs> I'm working the beat. Uh, so we were talking about earlier, Marissa just asked what uh, 
craziest call I'd been on, and I was trying to think. And say two years ago, <clears throat> I happened to be in the downtown area. It wasn't my beat because the city of Fargo is divided into four districts, and each district has three beats. Traditionally, an officer works one of those. <clears throat> and at that time, I was normally working the Osgood area, but I think I was the beat north of downtown, and a call came out for a robbery, and so I ended up. In the area, NDSU PD was checking one of their buildings, and they saw people running from the area of the robbery. <clears throat> and it was told that they, the person had used a gun in the robbery. So we had limited information, just a description of, and a male with a gun and a group of four people. So I got into the area, and I just started following them in my car, and they took off running. So I just And they split up when they saw me, so I, I decided to follow the one that supposedly had the gun. And then as we're driving, I'm driving behind him, lights and sirens, trying to get him to stop. It goes into an area where I can't drive anymore, so I have to get out of the car and chase after him. So we ended up running around the, the alleys downtown at night. So I can't remember how late it was, but it was dark out, so you can't really see as well. And then eventually I catch him over behind a dumpster over by Labor. I think it's Labor Now, Labor Ready at the time. And he's just proned out. And then at the time, we can't find the gun on him. So we arrest him. He wanted to identify himself. Ironically, and I know you can't see me right now, but I'm 5'11", you know, 225 pounds. And the, the guy asked the officer whose car we put him in if I ran marathons, <laughs> which made that officer start laughing hysterically. Right. He's like, you didn't take a good look at the guy that arrested you then. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I go back and I end up watching my squad car video and I can find where he ditched the gun. Because our witnesses at the time were like, it could have been a toy gun. It, w it looked plastic. What it turned out to be was a Taurus... Uh, concealed carry type gun it was made with a plastic yellow handle but it had uh, 40 caliber rounds in it one in the chamber and the mag was fully loaded Jeez, louise okay so i have so many different directions that we can go from there <laughs> so the first question that i have for you is how did you make the decision to become a police officer because that is a scary job like you made the decision in that story to run after someone who you knew could possibly have a weapon, and then you found out that they actually did. So how'd you make that decision? Well, I worked for Reuters Bar downtown in Fargo for 15 years. It's a long time. And then the last couple of years I was there, you know, could see the writing on the wall. I needed to kind of think of something else to do. I mean, I could, the, the crying family that owns Reuters, I could still be working there to this day, and I'm sure they would have loved to have kept me, but... Elizabeth and I were trying to figure out what would be the, the next logical step. And she thought about it. Like, it originally was her idea. And she's like, you know, have you ever thought about law enforcement? She's like, you can bartend in your sleep. She's like, I've watched you at work. And your main thing is you're watching the crowd, trying to make sure everyone's having a good time, making sure that everyone's safe. She's like, and then you're the first one to jump in when you think somebody's about to not be safe. She's like, have you ever thought about maybe getting into something where it uses those skills and then I had a friend, Mike Clower, who was an officer with Fargo, and I talked to him about it, and then he put me in touch with one of the, the training sergeant at the time, and I went and I set up a, a meeting with him, which Elizabeth takes credit for, but she's right, because <laughs> I went and set a meeting with him instead of just calling him or emailing him, mm -hmm. and I've talked, to, I've talked to him since then, and he did say that it, it made a really big impression that I came in to talk to him. He's like, too many people these days just want to call you, text you, or send you an email. And so he, at the time, it was two months before the summer academy started, and they were already full at the time, but he just said, call these people, fill out an application, let them know that I want you to be on the list, and 
you know, so they, I called them and they're like, all right, well, we put you on the waiting list. And then magically two days later, they're like, oh, a spot opened up for you. Wow. And then next thing I knew, it was six months later and I was hired by the Fargo Police Department. Wow. Is that how it goes for a lot of people? Because like when my dad would try and get on with the city to work as a fireman, he had to work for the garbage truck first because there was so many people that wanted to work for them that it looked better on his application if he had city experience. So he worked in sanitation for a long time before he got on with the fire department. I know for the the police department, for us, we were very, very selective. I mean, the application itself was, I think, 42 pages long. And then I know a lot of people that originally got hired because my academy class was one of the larger ones that they'd hired from because they Fargo PD was trying to experiment that year where they did majority of the instruction because there's an academy in Fargo, Grand Forks, uh, Bismarck, Devil's Lake. And there's multiple academies throughout the state that are all run through the same system, usually through Lake Region Academy okay. or Lake Region College, I mean, out of Devil's Lake. And usually the one in Fargo, Fargo PD would do like 20% of the instruction in Lake Region would do the rest. Well, they decided to try and do like 80% of the instruction for my academy because they knew that they wanted to hire a bunch of people from it. And they ended up hiring 10 of us from my academy class. Sweet. So even if you go through the academy, you're not guaranteed in no. a spot. Oh, wow. So there's people that I went to school with that graduated and don't have law enforcement jobs. Shoot. And then how long is that? That's six months? Is that what you said? Well, it took six months before I got hired. Oh, but okay. It's a 14-week program, I believe. Okay. It's basically, it's a full-time job. Like, we would, you know, start at seven and go go till three or four then we would do pt because you had to do pt every day and at least once a week you had to come in an hour and a half before class and shoot because they would have organized shoots okay so that's another one of my questions (laughs) do you take just like a gun class where they teach you how to shoot bad guys or how does that work um so we didn't get to shoot every day it was uh once a week you had to you had to shoot and then that was run by the the uh, shooting instructors or firearms instructors and so it could be it might be we had to carry a duty belt every day so you like they treated it like you were on the job so you got used to wearing a duty belt so it have you know a belt with a ours had a what we call rubber guns so it was a fully rubber gun the same looked like a glock but it was just made of rubber usually blue and then we would have those and then other tools on our belts. And then so your your firearms instruction that, that week might be just drawing your weapon, getting it to the low ready, punching out on target. Mm-hmm. Could be something as simple as that or it could be like, all right, we're going to put you through a shoot because a lot of times a shoot's going to have like time qualifications. Like, all right, when the target turns and faces you, you have two seconds to hit two shots, center mass, things like that. Mm-hmm. And from different distances, or it might be like, okay, we're, you're going to run in place for 60 seconds, and then you're going to draw and fire, and things mm. like that. Okay. So, how long before you were able, do you have to be employed as a police officer before you could carry your weapon? Or, like, did you have to get your conceal and carry? I mean, how does that work? I had my conceal carry before I started, but I just, I never used it for a firearm up until I was trained in law enforcement because I just didn't feel that I was comfortable carrying a gun Mm -hmm. when I wasn't trained. Like, I'd been around guns my whole life. I knew how to shoot. But to me, it was just like, why would I carry a concealed 
weapon, a firearm, if I didn't know how to properly use it. Right. I wasn't trained to do that sort so of thing. So did you have it for like a switchblade or something or what? I had it just because like Elizabeth being a realtor, oh. she had hers. And so there's times that there would be like a gun in the car. So I just like, you know, it's oh. just better if we both have it. So right. if I'm driving her car, mm-hmm. I don't get pulled over and then have somebody be like, what's that doing there? <laughs> so I, I, was like, I was like, I'll just get my concealed carry too. Right. I told my dad that I wanted a switchblade one time and this is just like a joke. And he was like, well, you need your conceal and carry permit for that. And I was like, okay, well, there goes that idea. But okay. So you already had your conceal and carry and then you finish your training. So at any point in your training, are you carrying a live weapon? Only, um, when we were doing firearms and those were checked in and out to us, oh, okay. by the firearms instructors. Okay, that makes sense. And then, so once you were hired as a police officer, then are you allowed to carry your weapon right away? Yes. Well, yeah. as soon as you have to go through a state qualification. Okay. So you get hot, your license isn't active from the, the post board. That's who runs law enforcement. Um, isn't active for the post board until you're hired by a department, and then you have to go through your, quali- your shooting qualifications. Because okay. every year you have to qualify with your firearm and your taser. So, so okay, so that's interesting. Did you, because I remember seeing videos of this in like a criminal justice class that I took in high school, but in order to be a police officer, these people had to get maced? Did you get maced? Uh, yeah, they call it the, it's a OC spray. Okay. And it's the worst experience of my life. What's OC mean? I just looked at, Elizabeth and I were just talking about this last night. I'm terrible at pronouncing it. It's capsaic capsaicum or something like that is the last part of it oh but is it just like the ingredients of the yep. thing oh okay it's a, but it's basically pepper spray yeah right it's okay. just a really intense pepper spray that is awful and i would never want to have to go through it <laughs> but it does give you the idea of what the person that you mm-hmm. if you do have to use it on someone so i can't even pronounce this word a lesser in capsaicum okay hmm. that's what oc's okay yeah it's so when we get when we get sprayed, it's you get sprayed in the face, and then you have to be able to perform functions so that you can. It's mainly to learn that you can do it and to know what it's going to feel like. So if you do have to use it on someone, you make sure to get them deconned as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was you know you get sprayed, and then you have to uh, do strikes on a dummy, and then kicks on a dummy, and then you have to go down downfield and perform an arrest on an armed suspect and then you have to after that you have to answer a law enforcement question so you still you know you have to realize that you can perform and do your job and think after having been yep and that is that to illustrate that like perpetrators could do that too well that too but it's also because if you're going to use that more often than not you're going to get some on you too so it's you learn how to to perform still after being hit Okay. You don't have to use anything else because obviously, like, if you tase someone, you're not going to accidentally get tased yourself. So it's not like you have to get tased in order to become a police officer, do you? Um, Our academy didn't. Some of them do require it. No way. Yeah. And I recently became a taser instructor, so I went through taser certification instructor school. And then in that one, I did take what they call a drive stun. So it's there's a they take the cartridge off because the there's still an electrical charge going through the two probes on the front of the taser. And then they drove that into my ankle so I could experience it because it locks up that muscle. Oh, okay. Was that crazy or what? Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's only five seconds, but okay. it's. It's like, think of the worst cramp you have ever had in your leg, Mm -hmm. and then just multiply that. Right. Times electricity. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. I still have burn marks, I think, on my my calf, and that was like six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you're sitting here, and now that your sweatshirt is off, I can see this bracelet that you have on your wrist. Oh. And I'm trying to think um, of the timeline, and you might have to remind me, but you had just finished your training and you six months later you got hired as a police officer and then it had to have been like six or eight weeks later and then officer Mosher was killed in the line of duty right yep. is that about I, the timeline? I was hired i believe november 7th of 2015 and then uh officer Mosher was shot and killed on uh february 11th 2016 okay so it's fairly new so, um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like and if you, did that make you question your career choice and just kind of what like, that it, was like? It didn't make me question. Uh, that happened. I was working nights at the time and I was, and it happened to actually what would have been on my beat because that was what would be 12 for us. Uh, I knew something was going on and it happened a couple hours before I would have come to work. And I ended up coming to work an hour early because all of a sudden, you know, things are just blowing up all over the news. Mm-hmm. And I was still in training at the time because when in our department, you have to go through like four to six months of training after you get hired where you ride with an, uh, what they call a, a PTO, a uh, police training officer. And so I, I got to work and it turned out that my PTO had already, he'd come in before me already. I'd come in an hour, hour or two early and he was here, must've been right after it started and he had already gotten out on scene. So I just got ready and they had me just sit in the uh, report writing room. And so I ended up just sitting there listening with the radio all night. Mm. And a lot of my academy class, a lot of my friends were out on, out on the perimeter for that getting shot at. So yes. to me, it didn't make me question what I did. It just made me super frustrated that all my friends were in a bad spot and I wasn't there to help them. Mm-hmm. So it made me, it kind of more reaffirmed what I, to me, what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So was it, um, like these are your friends, are they some of the ones that you went through the academy with? Yep. Yeah. Cause and at is... that point I was still pretty new. So I didn't know a whole lot of the other officers yet. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of how it goes for everybody? Like you're really close with the people from your academy class? I would say so, yeah. yeah. So I know, like, uh, there's one girl, Tammy. Her and I went to the academy together. We got hired together. Our first year on, we worked the, the same district together, and we had what they call the same schedule line because we have our schedules for a year. Oh, wow. So her and I worked every shift together our first year together, too. Mm. Did our training together. So I can see how you would become and, close with yeah. those people. I know, like, her and uh, my friend Toby, he got hired with us, too. We have, like, an ongoing chat message that we just talk to each other every week, even if we don't see each other. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. Um, okay, so when when you get hired, are you put into, like, a probationary period? So, like, were you still kind of, like, an officer in training at that point? or? Uh, so when you get hired, as soon as you, you know, you've passed all your post-board qualifications... And, you know, you've done your, your shooting and everything. Um, then you get your license activated so you're uh, a full police officer. But for us, it's you're going through the training program. So they're, they're not ready to put you out on your own yet. And so that can be anywhere from four to six months, just okay. depending. Because it's, it's scheduled intervals. Like, you know, you're going to have three weeks with this person, three weeks with this person, two weeks here, three weeks here, three weeks here. And then at certain points, they might decide to you know, give you another three weeks because they're like, okay, you need to work on this or you need to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's a very intense program. Right. So 
Is that why you were kind of stuck at the Yep, because the I wasn't uh, I wasn't out on my own yet. And then, you know, with that going on, I was not exactly a high priority or concern for mm-hmm. anyone. Right. So they just had me sit in the, uh, I, well, I can sit anywhere I want. I just sat in the report writing room because then I can be on the computer and see at least through our MVC what's going on and listen to the radio and find, try and find out what's going on until everyone came back. So if that had been like present day and you are able to be out on your own and stuff like that, would you have just gone to the scene or do you yeah. need to get approval and, to do that? In that situation, anything like that. You go to the scene, and then if they decide that they can start letting people go do other things, then, you know, maybe a supervisor, or you might contact somebody and be like, hey, I'm going to go take off and go handle these, because there's still other calls going on throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, somebody has to handle that as well. Right. Interesting. Um, okay. So I've kind of hopped all over the place <laughs> here because of all of our technical difficulties. And Okay. So you kind of talked about the different teams that you were on and stuff like that. Are you responsible for your own learning? Can you kind of say like, ooh, I want to do riot control? Or (laughs) do you have a supervisor that kind of says, this is where we need you? I was thinking about the other day, and I can't even count the number of supervisors I have. (laughs) Most people have like a direct supervisor. You know, you work. So I'm a beat 11 officer, so the... The beat 11 sergeants, my direct supervisor, and then the district one lieutenants, my direct uh, supervisor there. But then, you know, I'm on different teams. So then I'm like, okay, well, I've got this guy's my supervisor. This guy's my sergeant for this. This guy's my sergeant for this. And then when I was working in the airport, there's a different sergeant for that. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of different, as I always put it, I have a lot of different bosses. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the schoolings, um, the different trainings I've been to, it kind of depends on staffing, whether or not you can go. Because if you find out about a training or someone contacts you and says, hey, I think we should try and get you to this training, you got to check and see if there's staffing will allow you to go. Because the main thing is we got to make sure the streets are covered. Right. And then it's after that, then you give it to your sergeant who then gives it to whoever he thinks is appropriate. And then eventually goes to a lieutenant who makes a decision whether or not you can go. Okay. Because I know in the la- this year I've been to quite a few different trainings, but... And is it kind of a little bit of both? Like maybe sometimes someone says, hey, you should go to this, or maybe another one is like, oh, I want to go to that one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, like So for the crowd management team, like we've tried to get us all through. Uh, the Center for Domestic Preparedness has a base that they, they do a lot of uh, trainings through, and so they have a thing called Field Force Operations that they try and send us all to. So that was in Anniston, Alabama. I went down there in December. And then now this riot, or this uh, course I took in Oregon is a different variation of something like that okay it just had a different techniques that are a little more advanced than the one we went to so so like what's the coolest training you've ever been to <clears throat> it would be a toss-up between the one i just got back from in oregon and then the month before that for defensive tactics i was just outside of chicago in elgin illinois for the gracie survival tactics put on by the gracie family that's started the ufc like okay so they they in back in nineteen ninety three when the first UFC came out, uh, they were contacted by the DOD about maybe coming up with a hand to hand combat thing for uh, military, mm. and so they did that, and then because <clears throat> you know it was very successful, and their their brother or the the one family member Hoist Gracie you know was the big champion, and everyone's like, what's that skinny guy doing beating all these big muscular muscular fighters and stuff, and so they're like, well maybe there's something to this jujitsu stuff they mm-hmm. do. And so they, they developed a course for them, and at the same time, they're like, you know what, I bet law enforcement could really, because they're very pro-law enforcement and pro-military, 
And so like, I bet law enforcement could use this too. So they developed what they call the Gracie Survival Tactics course for just law enforcement and military. So they've been doing that since 1993. And so I was able to go to that last month, become an instructor for us for that. Cool. So what did you, like you learned hand-to-hand combat basically? Um, Their jujitsu for law enforcement basically is what it was. So it was a a week-long course of you just entirely, I mean there was a small section on basically classroom work, but it was in an MMA gym and it was on the mats, just practical, hands-on, all day long, every day for five days. That is awesome. It was a lot of fun. By about the third day, I was like, oh, I'm 41 years old. (laughs) I've never felt older in my life. (sighs) The one thing, this is a really good segue to go into this because you have been big into CrossFit before and weightlifting and now like you're doing some strongman stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you just did a strongman competition. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, the first one. I don't know if you know the uh, Upper Midwest Bodybuilding Show that uh, Tom Kemper puts on up here every year. I don't know that, but is he related? <clears throat> excuse me, to Kathy Kemper? I think so. I'm actually not sure. Well, Kathy Kemper is a big like bodybuilding <laughs> coach that like a couple of people that I know oh, have yeah. used her like for diet plans and exercise regimens and stuff. But yeah, Tom's been the promoter of that show for years. I mean, I competed in it, I don't even know how many years ago, back in like... You did a bodybuilding show? Yeah. Oh, we're talking this was a long time. (laughs) I weighed like 180 pounds. No way. Yeah. Funny. Was this around the same time Steph was into bodybuilding? Yeah. So Steph and I, that's how Steph and I have known each other for for years. Like you met in the bodybuilding circuit? (laughs) Kind of in that world. uh, We all trained, back then most of the bodybuilders in town trained at the sports center. Okay. Which doesn't exist anymore. Wow. And so then we we both competed in that, kind of knew each other a little bit from that and from the sports center. And then one day, Steffi showed up at uh, Wild Nights CrossFit when I was one of the trainers there. And so we got to reconnect there and become good friends again. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so how... Um, that is the... Would you say that that stuff, like the weight training, the strongman, CrossFit, is the foundation of your fitness? Yeah, I, I wrestled for North Dakota State University from in 97 through 2000. Okay. And that's how I ended up here in town. So, you know, I originally grew up in Iowa. Okay. I wrestled for JUCO for two years down there and then got recruited to come up to NDSU. So I came up here and then ended up just sticking around. And when I was wrestling, I started doing some judo. I thought that was fun. But then I kind of, you know, got out of it and just mm. was bartending and... And bodybuilding. Having, having fun doing that and did some bodybuilding. And then bodybuilding just kind of got boring to me. Because it was just like, I'm just going to try and stand on a stage in a banana hammock and look pretty. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Right. I'm, a, I'm a bit of an attention whore, and mm-hmm. I love standing in front of people and trying to get their attention. But mm-hmm. I missed the wrestling and judo side of things, so I started getting back into judo. And then through that, I ended up, I was at the judo club here in town. There's one that, that trains, uh, the, I can't remember what they're exactly, I think it's just the Fargo-Moorhead Judo Club. But I was doing that for a while, and then, you know, we'd have some live sparring in that. And then I ended up meeting a guy there. I can't remember his name now, but I sparred with some guy there. And usually my wrestling background kind of took over whenever I was sparring in judo, and I could take people down and hold them down just from wrestling. But I, I met a guy that I couldn't hold down. I could usually take him down, but then all of a sudden he'd either reverse me or he'd get out. I'm just like, what the heck? This is weird. And then a little bit later, Vern, the, the sensei at the time, was like, all right, well, we've got a guest instructor. He's a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and ended up being the guy I had, I'd been sparring with. And so that guy, after we got done, was like, hey, 
I train with a group of fighters every afternoon. Do you want to come train with us? And I'm like, oh, so I was bartending at the time. So it was perfect. I'd get up, I'd go train with those guys for a couple hours at like from like noon to like two over at uh, American Taekwondo Academy mm-hmm. way before even like ACA started. And then I'd get done training with them and I'd run to the gym and I'd lift and I'd go to work. To me, it was perfect. I loved, I loved that life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so I had one, one professional fight and I ended up, I was, I was winning the fight and then I made a mistake and ended up losing, which, which happens. Mm-hmm. I got, I got knocked out. Shoot. And then I was uh, helping a guy train for a fight because I, I did some physical training for people. And then I was getting ready. I was going to take another fight myself because of my background at NDSU. A lot of the local promoters were like, oh, this is a guy we can sell pretty well. So we'd like to have him fight in our different cards or whatever. And then I ended up getting a car accident. And I, uh, my pelvis got twisted up. My spine got twisted up. So I had to go through a year and a half, two years of physical therapy. And so by that point, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm like, you know what? I'm too old to, you know, hadn't been able to train for like two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm too old to get back into MMA. At least I thought at the time. Now I wish I would have gotten back into at least training. But I had a guy that was like, hey, have you ever heard of this CrossFit stuff? And I'm like, no, because this is, I don't know, 10, you know, eight, nine years ago now. I'm like, I, I it was what, pretty new then. I'm like, what's CrossFit? And so he had me look it up and I was like, ooh, that looks pretty interesting. And at the time, there was only two CrossFit gyms in, in this city. There was CrossFit 701 and there was Wild Nights CrossFit. Just happened to be that Wild Nights, I think, popped up first on my search. And so after staring at it for probably a month, <laughs> I was like, I still don't know what this stuff is. I was like, whatever, I'm going to go try it out. Because I knew from when I was at NDSU, I liked doing cleans. I liked doing deadlifts. Mm-hmm. I liked doing stuff like that. And I loved doing like circuits anyway when I trained. And I was like, it seems kind of like that. So I ended up down at Wild Nights, and they put me through the the old traditional baseline workout of a 500-meter row, 40 air squats, 30 sit-ups, 20 push-ups, 10 pull-ups. They're like, all right, just do this as fast as you can. I don't remember. What, it was some terrible time, like six minutes or something like that, and I was just laying on the ground, just mm-hmm. dying. Like, you know, that, that point when you worked out so hard that you can't really see right? And I was like, wow. So I looked at the guy, and I was like, well... What time are we train tomorrow then? And then I was just hooked. Yeah. So, but it's safe to say that you didn't do a lot of like endurance training in the traditional sense, like triathlons, marathons, none of that. No, that's something I, I want to try at some point. Basically, if you can compete in it athletically, there's I kind of want to try it. Mm-hmm. So, but obviously what you've been doing has kept you fit enough that you could run down a scary <laughs> man in a dark alley. Yep. Some, some tall skinny guy with dreads yeah so and then do you feel like your background in wrestling and judo helps you i mean i guess i don't know how many perpetrators you need to wrestle to the ground but do you think that your fitness backgrounds helped you as a police officer i i believe so yeah it also helps me because i know how to at least all the fights that i've been in so far i haven't had to hurt anybody because that's kind of my goal is to not get hurt and then i when I'm in a, even when I'm in a fight with somebody, I don't want to hurt them either when right. I'm on the street. Because a lot of, like, I work downtown, and so a lot of the guys I deal with are intoxicated. They're not in the right minds. So they're not making good decisions. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, I, at least I try not to hurt people and make sure that everything, everyone gets home safely at the end of the day is kind of the goal. Yeah, for sure. And um, there's a lot of that 
like Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter that goes on. So I think you guys probably have to be kind of careful there, um, which is actually one of my questions. So because of the cultural significance of a lot of those like hashtag movements and stuff, do you guys have extra training on that? Um, we have a community liaison officer and then so we, he's uh, Vinny. He's done different trainings with us. He sends us emails about different uh, cultural things going on around, around the city and then usually he's he he's been really good about on the bottom of those emails you like explain something about a different culture that he's learned because he's newer in the position as well and then every city employee is mandated to go through uh, cultural sensitivity training okay. that we that we had last year and so it's just something that we have ongoing that that was what i was wondering because like in the corporate world then you know people would get like sensitivity training or diversity training or something yeah, like that would, so it's all the same thing different names but yeah for sure um okay just a couple of questions so what is something that you think that people don't understand about the job that you do so my, the reason that I wanted to ask this question is because and I don't know if things are the same between cities or whatever but I think um, Aaron knew somebody from Chicago or maybe he just I don't even remember who told him this but he said that when a Chicago police officer is in a situation where he needs to fire his weapon that they are trained to empty their clip. And so to, you know, for somebody, if there's a situation where someone gets shot and they don't understand why they've been shot like six times or 10 times or whatever, you know, that, that, that would make sense is like, because the officer had been trained to do that. But I don't know if that's how you guys are trained or if that's, we're just trained to go until the threat's neutralized. So how, however that has to be. And personally, like because of my background and I'm not a small guy, I, I prefer going hands-on with people. And I don't know, I've just, I, I've never tased anybody. I've never had to use my OC spray on anyone. I, I prefer being able to just take control of somebody and putting them in handcuffs. So aside from the time when the guy tossed the gun, have you ever been in a situation where the person has had a gun? Um, like, would you try and neutralize the person hands-on if they had a weapon? No, like, a that, like if they have a weapon, depends on... Usually then, we also go through, like, um, I was in a training called CIT, which uh, is just about basically talking people down that are in crisis. It's crisis intervention training. Okay. So we try and do things like that. You know, like, again, harming someone's the last resort. Right. So we, are you guys trained to like shoot people in the leg like they do on no. things everybody's like that? trained to shoot center mass because especially in a situation like that where your adrenaline's, adrenaline's flowing you're not going to have the the aim to shoot some small body part right it's you shoot center mass okay um <clears throat> but then like you know one shot isn't always going to take somebody down right so i mean if you you could google right now and you could watch people being shot and you know someone might get shot four or five times and keep coming because so like the reason they the instructor i had one time said there's a reason they call it a gun fight because if you're using your pistol and you shoot somebody they're still going to probably ends up in a hands-on fight oh wow because people are going to be able to keep coming through that right crazy um that's why I, like i believe that officers need to be physically fit I mean, extremely physically fit. I know I, I train really hard. And I, luckily for me, there's a group of officers that are a little younger. Like, by younger, I'm considered a younger officer, even though I'm 41. 
what they mean by that is like I haven't been on the job very long. Mm-hmm. So we've got the group that I'm with now kind of a lot of them like to train. They, they all believe that, you know, physical fitness is important for our job. So we, you know, with our new facility, we've got, we've got a gym in there where, you know, luckily we've been able to get a lot of equipment donated or like I brought some of my own equipment over. Plus like, especially I believe in training a lot with sandbags because it's just the unpredictability of the stuff that we deal with on the street. So has your physical training changed since you become a police officer? I think I've moved away a little bit from the uh, <clears throat> Olympic weightlifting as much. It just, I mean, the explosiveness of it is good, but just having that just one linear motion of just exploding upward isn't translate as well. So for me, I switched, that's how I ended up switching more towards the strongman stuff okay. because the odd objects and then the moving things over distance translated to me better for law enforcement because, you know, we have to wear 40 pounds of gear all day long. We have to, you know, you might have to pick up. I've, I personally, I, I looked at another officer after I did this. There was a, an autistic boy who was having a crisis and his mom flagged down another officer. And the kid was, you know, over 200 pounds. He was a big kid, but he was severely autistic. And he was having a crisis and he wouldn't get in the car. And she's just like, if you guys can just, and he was just shut down. Mm-hmm. He just sat down next to this van and wouldn't get up. And she was just like, uh, if you guys can help me get him in the car, he'll be fine. As soon as he gets in the car, it's like his trigger and he's, he's, he's calm. He'll be back to his normal self. And then, so we were trying to pick him up and then I ended up kind of, I ended up wrapping my arms around him like he was a sandbag around his waist and I was able to pick him up. And then when you're doing strongman training, they do a thing called lapping a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I lapped him and then I was able to use my hips to lift him up and then I was able to get him in the car and then everything was fine. And I turned to Scott and I was like, see, that's why I lift up. Because they, <laughs> they all give me crap about my sandbags. I have, you know, 50 pound, 100 pound, 150, 200, and 240 pound sandbags that I keep at the PD gym. And they all give me crap about them. I looked at them. I'm like, see, now that's why I lift those sandbags. That is so funny. That's, I was going to ask you, like, what is something, and this would obviously be an example of it, but what is something that you're thankful that you were trained on or that you train for so that would be an example like i train with sandbags for situations like this have you do you have any other examples of something where you're like holy smokes i'm really glad that that guy trained me on that or that i knew how to do this well from working downtown i know the the crisis intervention training has been really big i was always really good at talking with the the people i deal with downtown but having these extra tools like so they would teach me they, it teaches you they how to talk to people that are having issues, you know, mm-hmm. like don't avoid these certain trigger words or, you know, just don't lie to them because if you lie to them and they catch you in a lie, that's going to make the crisis worse. Right. So things like that, I don't want to say that was a really big one for me. And then, like I said, just the, the physical preparedness, I just think is extremely important. So huge. Um, okay. One last question. What is something that you do and it could be daily, it could be weekly, um, and this might be a gimme, but something that you do that you think makes you be better at your job or at life in general. It'd be hard to narrow it down to one thing. I've got so many weird rituals that I do like every day. Elizabeth started us on a gratitude calendar. Love it. Love Elizabeth. She's so smart. God, you're and, lucky. And so <laughs> there's that every day. And then uh, I try and it doesn't seem to be every day, but then I'll try and do either like box breathing or like uh, the Wim Hof method of breathing, mm-hmm. you know, multiple days a week, yeah. work on that to just try and be able to calm myself down. Like I, 
I'll do it when I'm training too. Like if I know if I'm coming up for a big lift, but I'm breathing super heavy, I'll just do a quick couple sets of box breathing, mm -hmm. try and just lower that heart rate a little bit before mm -hmm. I hit it so I can concentrate on what I'm doing and not on the, oh my God, I'm so tired. Mm -hmm. And then to me, I need to train every day or I get crabby. Right. So I need to make sure to, to pick up something or run or row or, you know, hit a ski. I have to do something every day. Even if it, some days it's just the way life works. You only get like 15 minutes. Well, if you only get 15 minutes, you might as well make that 15 minutes count and get right. in there and hit something. Cool. And then, you know, the, what calms me down or helps me too is I have a dog that's very intense and it, he needs training every day. So the both of us usually get some sort of training. I train him on either like scent work or tug work or, mm -hmm. just, you know, agility work, things like that every day. So yeah. I realize that he needs it and then, you know, kind of helps keep me going and like I need it too. And like when the summer comes here, I bike him almost every day. And Nice. So lots of training yeah. in here. Yes. Training is very important to me. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, well, that's all I have. I actually have to get back to work, but um, thank you so much for taking the time, and and I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Also, thank you for the work that you do as a professional police officer. So, thank you for your service. Thank you. If you liked what you heard, you can visit trainingforlife.com. That's life spelled L-Y-F-E for show notes and links to things we talked about, as well as how you can find our guests on social media. You can also subscribe to the show in your iTunes player so you receive updates when a new show is released. You can also leave feedback by writing a review. If you want to connect directly, please email me at Training for Life. Again, that's life spelled L-Y-F-E at Outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening.